Hello, this is Robert Fleming of the Tucson, Arizona law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, where we do elder law, estate planning, trust administration, with some emphasis on special needs trust administration. I'm talking with my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. And uh, today, Elizabeth, we're going to talk about choosing a fiduciary. In an earlier session, we talked about the definition of a fiduciary, the fact that a, that a an agent on a power of attorney, the trustee in a trust, the personal representative of an estate, uh, or just somebody who informally is handling affairs for another person, all are fiduciaries, and that that's a, uh, a little bit of a scary job to take on. You have a lot of responsibility and a lot of possibility for things to go wrong, which leads us pretty naturally to today's question, which is, if I am trying to choose somebody to act as my fiduciary, I'm trying to figure out who I'm going to name as trustee on my trust, personal representative on my estate, uh, agent on my healthcare and financial power of attorney, how do I possibly find somebody who has the skill set to do whichever of those tasks I want to assign? That's an incredibly difficult question. And it really is a fact-specific question that depends on your family circumstances, whether or not your um, partner uh, is also asking the same question about fiduciaries. So when we meet with a couple, it's not uncommon for um, one of the people to have it all decided who's going to take care of that estate or healthcare decisions. And the spouse or the partner um, actually have no idea who they would want to name. So it starts, I think, by having a conversation about what a fiduciary is and when a fiduciary is needed. I'd say another thing that happens initially that I really try and draw people's attention to, it is so often that we meet with clients who are focused on death. What happens when I die? It is essential that any fiduciary you name you have confidence that that person or that entity is going to be able to take action and be responsible for decisions during your lifetime. So many people are planning about death, but they're actually not planning for their incapacity. So one of the first things about choosing a fiduciary is I encourage people to make sure that the fiduciary they're thinking of nominating is going to be able to act and take care of things during the person's lifetime. And that's just an essential interim question that has to be addressed before you select a fiduciary. You know, we tend to be a little bit cynical because we see so many fiduciary relationships gone awry. But we say in our office that you can trust anybody to be your fiduciary, except for close family members and people you meet at <laughs> church. So if we rule out everybody you actually know, uh, how, do you, how do you figure out who is trustworthy? Well, I would say it really starts with your family dynamics, the dynamics in your friend circle. For more than half of the clients that I meet with, they have solid relationships with a spouse, child, perhaps a niece or a nephew that that will be able to help make responsible healthcare decisions, help make decisions related to the management of that person's estate, either as trustee during their lifetime or at death. So I always talk about family members first, because that's usually where people head. They would like uh, an initial discussion to address a spouse stepping in to make decisions, and then perhaps a child or a niece or a nephew if the spouse is unavailable. Then we start to talk about the circle 
broadening a bit because for most people, they can imagine nominating a spouse or a child to act as a fiduciary. But what if that spouse predeceases you? What happens if your child has struggled with alcohol addiction or perhaps has a partner in his or her life that um, you don't like very much and you're not wild about your daughter-in-law having anything to do with your finances while you're alive? In those particular cases, we start looking down the road a bit, and sometimes for people, they want to nominate a professional fiduciary, a licensed fiduciary like Fleming and Curdy, um, perhaps a bank or financial institution as a fiduciary, and they do that down the road. So they may have a spouse and then a child, and at the end of the road, they might want to have an independent private fiduciary that they nominate. That's often a decision for people that they make at the very end of their estate planning process before they sign. It takes them quite a bit of time to think through the different options. And generally speaking, I agree with you that most people name their family members, usually their children. Uh, and though we may be cynical and, and dismissive, that works out just fine almost all the time. But here's a question. If I have two children, one as a doctor, my daughter's a doctor, my son is a banker, do I just name my son the banker as financial agent and trustee and, and my daughter the doctor as healthcare agent? Is that the kind of obvious logical choice? Well, that's what people often do in these particular circumstances where a family member or friend has a specific area of expertise. However, I think what's very important if you're making that kind of decision, connecting the dots that way, you're also making decisions that are realistic to where you're living. If you want to nominate somebody who, as your healthcare agent because that person's a doctor, but they work an 18-hour day and they're working out of state, um, I think we need to have a deeper conversation about whether or not that person's going to be available if there's a thump in the middle of the night to fly to Tucson and help start talking to doctors and making medical decisions. So it's not only the area of expertise of the family members, friends, or colleagues that you might want to nominate as a fiduciary, but it's their relationship to you in your life. If you don't have an open and transparent relationship with somebody who you want to nominate as your agent under a durable financial power of attorney or as a trustee, just because that person's a wonderful investment banker and has been incredibly successful flipping real estate or whatever, really doesn't make that person necessarily qualified to be your fiduciary. It's a lot more complicated than that. I agree with you about the local person, particularly for the healthcare power of attorney. I usually explain to my clients that your daughter in Japan can handle your finances just as well over the phone and the internet uh, as the person who's next door. But the healthcare power is one that it really helps to have somebody who can come see you in the hospital or in the nursing home and assess whether the treatment that's being proposed is appropriate. So that's one It really is nice to have a local person. And I will, I'll make a comment here, Robert. I hardly ever recommend that somebody have more than one person nominated at a time as an agent under a durable financial power of attorney. But wait a minute. I, I want to name all my kids because I love them and trust them equally, and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Well, I'm happy to hear that you have a wonderful relationship with your children, Robert, but that's not a good enough reason to name them all as a fiduciary to act at the same time. In fact, I think that could create conflict when there's no pre-existing conflict. Oftentimes when people need to step up to the plate to start making decisions and helping with things like 
healthcare decisions for somebody else or perhaps making decisions about how to pay for bills um, like a mortgage or make a decision about moving somebody into a smaller home. Group think is not necessarily helpful. Um, as a fiduciary, your number one obligation, I believe, is to have open, transparent, and honest conversations about the principal with the principal. Having that conversation, for instance, with me about my checkbook and about the bills that you may be paying on my behalf if you're my agent, that's really important. And oftentimes when we see a number of family members step into the role as a fiduciary, it can create conflict and confusion and not necessarily be the most efficient or effective way to handle really important matters. I think we're going to wrap it up there for this session. In another session, I want to talk about professional fiduciaries and family members using professionals when they act as fiduciary, lawyers and accountants and the like. Uh, But let's save that for our next session and end here for now. You've been listening to Elder Law Issues with Robert Fleming and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We're from the Tucson, Arizona law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, and we would love to help advise you about your fiduciary selection and, uh, and, and direction to your fiduciary, or for that matter, if you are a fiduciary, about what your duties are and how to discharge them. In the meantime, we hope you will join us for our next session. Talk to you then.